Hey, dickheads! We've got a special pink laser beam of truth. Unfortunately, this one has nothing to do with Philip K. Dick, but fortunately it has to do with a really great author who was one of his peers, and actually very important to the Philip K. Dick universe, and that's um, a novel called Beyond Apollo by Barry Maltzberg. I've got a special guest dickhead tonight. His name is James Wright, and you'll find out very quickly that he is super knowledgeable in science fiction, and you guys will be clamoring for him to come back to dickhead soon, I'm sure. So, James, why don't you tell everybody your background and your history with science fiction? Uh, good evening. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a, a novelist. I was born in Stroud in the west of west of England. I live in New Mexico now. I come to science fiction through a couple of, couple of strands that might seem a bit incongruous. I come to it through um, a hybrid of uh, bizarrely Dylan Thomas and um, and Richard Burton. So I come to it from a Welsh angle. Um, I used to be obsessed with the the, the recording of um, the War of the Worlds and uh, uh, Wells's novel, um, but also and uh, Dadaism and surrealism. So I, I lean towards the experimental end of um, science fiction in, in terms of what I enjoy to enjoy reading. Uh, so Dick, absolutely. Uh, Malzberg, yes. Um, Burroughs, yes. Ballard, yes. Um, those are some of my uh, my my touchstones. Um, I also enjoy. I Bradbury, um, some of the, some, some of the legends, of course, but, uh, yeah, I, the, I've just, um, finished the, my first, uh, I won't even call it a straight science fiction novel. It's called The Song My Enemies Sing that came out, um, from a press called Anti-Oedipus Press. And they previously put out, uh, Malzberg's, a couple of Malzberg books, Beyond Apollo and Galaxies. Um, I happened to, um, lucky enough to be invited to write an intro. To Beyond Apollo, um, which uh, I think Maltzberg got a kick out of, uh, which is, is always a, a great relief if you're going to take on a, the work of a living author, try to explain it, and hope you don't screw up and uh, offend them too much. Yeah, and that's um, one of the reasons, where I'm from and who I am. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I was really excited to have you be a part of this bonus episode of Dickheads because you wrote the introduction to Beyond Apollo. And the reason I um, chose this Maltzberg book to read, and I had read it once before, but I wanted to reread it. Uh, I'm trying to read more retro sci-fi this year, um, try to go back to some of the classics, and not just because I'm already going to be reading a dick book every month, so I thought I need to be reading some other retro stuff from the era. And one of the reasons why I wanted to read Maltzberg is I learned, and I don't know if you know this, but... Barry Maltzberg is so important to Philip K. Dick in part because he was the guy who read the slush pile at Philip K. Dick's literary agency in the 50s. Correct, yeah. And yeah, Maltzberg has the... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 go ahead. You can add to that, please. Well, Maltzberg has these kind of really interesting um, threads. You know, he, he, he wrote in multiple genres. He wrote under different pseudonyms. Uh, for me, what I found interesting, I didn't realize, you know, a kind of epiphany like you just had about, you know, Dick and the slush pile was, um, I didn't realize when I first read Miles' book that he had been, um, published by, um, Maurice Sherodius, who was, um, Burroughs' publisher, um, published Naked Lunch, and he published Henry Miller, and he published all these, um, works of literature that, you know, essentially other, other, other modernist and late modernist and early postmodernist in, um, works that 
got people into trouble, you know, got, got people, got into the, into the court system, got into obscenity trials, arguments about censorship. So I found it kind of fascinating that this very straight, well, not fascinating, but also completely understandable that this really, uh, challenging science fiction writer would have a background in the same, in the same literature, the same press, the same atmospheres as people like Burroughs and, and, and Miller and others through, just through that press. It's kind of a little tangential in some ways, but um, it makes total sense to me in terms of the way Maltzberg experiments with deconstruction, which we can obviously talk about as we, as we move on. Well, and so one of the reasons personally is that I had made it my mission that one of the people we were going to interview for Dickheads this year was going to be Barry Maltzberg, and that I was going to track him down, so I knew I wanted to reread one of his novels, and the reason I had Beyond Apollo on the shelf was because, um, well, it was probably 10, 11 years ago, um, I was living in western Washington, and I used to go often to Victoria, B.C., and there was an awesome bookstore there called Dark Horse Books, which was basically science fiction books and political anarchist books. And the owner of the store, Robert Garfat, who's a, who's a good friend of mine now, um, on my very first time coming into his store, I told him I was looking for John Shirley, John Bruner, and Norman Spinrad books. And he, oh, Spinrad, too, right. Yeah. yeah, and that's who I was looking for that day. And when I walked out, I walked out with a copy of Beyond Apollo because he said, you hear, read this guy, too. And that was the first... You found all the great ironists of, of science fiction, right? Right. Between Dick and those guys, yeah. Yeah, and because um, that's... I was just discovering Spinrad at the time, and um, I was kind of late to the game on Spinrad, but... Um, and so I read Beyond Apollo at the time, but I don't know that I was quite ready for it at the time. I liked it, but yeah. not as much as I did when I reread it this last week. And um, so let's talk about Beyond Apollo. Um, what do you know about the publishing history of this book? I know it won the John Campbell um, uh, Novel of the Year Award, Memorial Award at the time, but I don't know much about the publication of it. Do you know much about that? I mean, I think I'm in the same place you are. I mean, I mean, I know about that. I know that it was, you know, a, a controversial book, and I, I think I have some insight into into why, in the, in the general kind of sense of literature. But in terms of like how it how it came into print, um, I'm a little in the dark about that. I must admit. But I think mm -hmm. one of the things that's important for why it's such an important book in terms of uh, science fiction lineage, not just because of winning the the inaugural Campbell Award, um, but it, it it does this very interesting thing um which is that it, it, it so burroughs had william burroughs had had written um the nova trilogy he'd done soft machine he'd done the ticket that exploded and he'd done nova express which were these very kind of interesting uh deconstruct deconstruction kind of novels they were the, the cut-up novels in a way that naked lunch wasn't a cut-up novel naked lunch was simply non-linear and strange um but it wasn't a cut-up um and you know, when, you know we, there's a lot of um, in the history of science fiction, we, we often look at Burroughs as a kind of a, a, a pivotal. That the Nova trilogy is important and pivotal, and it makes complete sense. But there's a, there's a great, there's a really important difference between what Burroughs did 
and what Malzberg did, and even what um, Dick did to a sim to a, to an extent in, in things like um, Ubik in the Nova trilogy, uh, for in Burroughs's work, the technique assimilates the genre. So basically, mm-hmm. deconstruction assimilates science fiction. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Malzberg, um, in his experiments in Beyond Apollo and definitely in Galaxies, which is also a, you know a, a very kind of um, yeah, experimental, deconstructed, postmodern kind of text. In Malzberg, genre assimilates technique, mm-hmm. assimilates deconstruction, which is a whole, a whole different thing. It's a very, it's a very exciting. It, in the sixties and the seventies, you know, we have science fiction catching up, if you like, with the literary progress that had been made in, in modernism. But science fiction largely bypassed. You know, when, when Moorcock talked about, you know, wrote why so conservative and bemoaned, you know, the, the, the state of writing, you know, the, the, what he saw at least as the, as the lousy state of writing in a lot of science fiction, it was partly because, because of, uh, I think, you know, you, you know, you know this, I think about my, my thoughts on this is partly because, um, Hugo Gernsback had, had basically turned had, had turned science fiction into a, into a no sex, you know, fairly, um, uh, insular, insular place where it was about, uh, humanism, positivism, and a kind of like benign colonialism, um, a benign imperialism that you see kind of, uh, even it's, it, it epitomized in something like Star Trek. Whereas luckily in the, in the, in the sixties and the seventies, uh, we had, uh, the, the sort of new wave science fiction writers, you know, with, with whom Malzberg is kind of loosely associated, turning inwards towards the, the psyche, towards the things that, you know, towards, towards surrealism, towards Dadaism, towards collage, towards sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and basically saving, sa- rescuing, as I see it, rescuing the genre. Um, when you, when you were talking about, um, the, the Don Zanzibar, Mm-hmm. You know, Brunner's really great novel. Um, when, when Brunner, what year did that come out? Do you remember the year that came out? 1969. It's a late, it's a very end of the sixties book, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, so like when, when, when Brunner's looking for, for technique, for, you know, for, for a literary style to match his, um, to match his innovative, uh, ideas about character and concept and all that, he has, he has to go back the best, he has to go back almost 40 years. He goes, he looks at John Dos Passos in the 42nd parallel, the USA trilogy to, to borrow all those, all those techniques of newsreel, the collage of biography, the shifting perspectives. Um, you know, it's a, it's a novel from 1930 where, where Brunner found his, his, his strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's thank God for, for, um, science fiction that people like Philip K. Dick, People like Burroughs and um, uh, people like Malzberg also uh, basically dragged um, modernism into into science fiction. I don't know if it's. I was thinking about this earlier because I knew we were going to be talking about some of this stuff, and I was thinking about how, you know, in some ways we think of um, the '60s and the '70s as a kind of inward turn towards, you know, away from the the exterior, you know, towards inner space, as, as Ballard and others called it. But really, it's not so much, I, I, I'm not even sure it's a, a, an inward term. It's more like 
the return of the repressed in a Freudian way where all the things that science fiction had kind of avoided um, through the kind of the what I think of as the kind of the, the Gernsback tyranny um, emerges at last. The, the, the repressed material, the well, experimentation, the sex, drugs and rock and roll. So I think it's uh, really great to highlight someone like Miles Bergen, as you did with Brunner, and also the, the great things that Dick did in terms of you know, dragging the genre, kicking and screaming out of the 1930s. Well, and I think Dangerous Visions, the Harlan Ellison book, did yeah. that a lot, too. Ellison, likewise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah Dangerous and, Visions, for sure. Yeah, and, all, and a lot of these authors were all in Dangerous Visions. but um, And I think the thing with um, Beyond Apollo is, well, I mean, clearly with the title, and it's funny because, um, you know, this book came out in 1972, so... Um, yeah. So when I bought this book first in 2009, which is the first time I bought it, it th- when I read the title Beyond Apollo, my brain didn't immediately go to the Apollo space program, right? Because Interesting, yeah, yeah. Because and and I just assumed that it that this was eventually going to have some kind of metaphor about the Greeks or whatever. And um, because my mind didn't immediately go to the space program, but of course in 1972 Apollo was everything in space right that the world was kind of engulfed yeah so the title beyond apollo had different meaning i think in 1972 it has um it's a less obvious um point to or the title is more obvious in 1972 at what he's trying to get at you see what i'm saying yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. most book had this kind of profound ambivalence um about space where it's a lot of skepticism about you know the idea of you know the committee you know, he, he writes a lot about bureaucracies and agencies and committees and i think you know and the and the the asepsis as he calls it of of outer space that the you know what you know ballard also called you know well or or in a slightly different way saying you know these, these great theories of the future would be would be boring you know mm-hmm. and we, um we we start we were having that problem with science with with the relationship between science fiction and the technology that was accelerating past it so it was really increasingly hard to sustain the extravagant um, myths of science fiction whether that was about the nature of what the planet venus was like or what mars was like you know by the time that Marsberg's writing Beyond Apollo, um, all the myths of, of Venus, uh, you know, the bikini-clad, you know, women uh, on this kind of jungle planet and all that kind of, um, yeah. Things that uh, were in te- the teenage, teenage boy stuff and the canals of Mars, all that kind of stuff is is, is debunked. You know, we'd had these, um, and it's really sad. It's, 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 it's sort of depressing in a certain way that, you know, we had this, I think in the introduction to um, Beyond Apollo that I, wrote for Antidipus, uh, I said something like that the, the, there was this kind of flattening of affect of, of the, when we did the flybys of the planets, you know, and the, we did the spectroscopy, we, we thought there was nothing romantic about it at all. You know, and you talked about Apollo as this kind of mythic idea, and it's the same for Venus, the same for Mars, that these kind of personifications of certain kind of attitudes and uh, archetypes and they're, you know, they're, they're loaded with material, but then when you actually get there, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or you know, you can't get there, of course, with Venus. You know, everything's kind of you can crushed to bits and destroyed <laughs> by acid, by acid, and you know, it's just a bitable place. And Mars is kind of, you know, 
a little, a little, I mean, I, I'm still obsessed with it as a, as a science fiction myth. I still, you know, just wrote about it and in a way that was to me a throwback to sort of the you know, Bradbury-esque romanticism around what Mars might be or like Dick did in, um, uh, Martian time slip, that sort of like haunted vision of Mars. I think that's still Right. Well, um, but, but in terms of like, like, you know, are there, are there Martians, you know, like, you know, I talked about coming to science fiction through, through Wells and like, you know, this reading Wells and listening to my favorite actor, you know, read, um, those, those extracts from Wells on the, on the, on the, uh, prog rock war of the world's LP. Those, those things are really important to me. But so I still, I still, you know, I, I it's disappointing more than that somewhat, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a shame, but you know, in the end, uh, in the end, Mars and, and Venus, the, the myths were unsustainable. So yeah, in, in that context, the, the repressed material of, you know, sex and obscenity that you see in beyond Apollo come, come roaring back. Well, and some of the things about, and I have this argument with, um, one of my favorite authors, living authors is, uh, John Shirley. And, um, he, he recently, um, we had he and I had had this kind of uh, debate about he wanted to update his uh, 70s science fiction novel Transmaniacon to have more. Really, up- really. Oh, yeah. He wanted to update it, and I was like, No, 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 no. <laughs> Leave it the way it is. I agree. <laughs> Leave, it, it <laughs> Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. And because uh, he was. Yeah, I have an old. I have an old one of them. Yeah. Cover of that. Yeah. Oh, I love Transmaniacon. But, um, so the, for example, with, uh, Beyond Apollo, the, all the out of date stuff with Venus and, and all that stuff, to me, it's, it's part of the, uh, it, it's part of the time capsule of the novel. And, and I actually like those aspects of it. And this is a very out of date novel. If you look at the fact that he, he has like the, Mars missions already getting to Mars and failing by 1976, which was very optimistic. Right, yeah. And we're exploring Venus with humans in 1981 and whatever. So, yeah, it's really optimistic, but at the same time, like, I appreciate that aspect of it. Now, one thing that he has kind of going on in here, and I I don't know if you agree with this interpretation, but one of the things that, that I kind of came out of this second time that I read it feeling is that um, some of the same points that um, Maltzberg's trying to make to me seems very similar to uh, what I got out of reading Lem's Solaris, although done in a more <laughs> pulpy and, and um, uh, kind of more psychedelic and, you know, like kind of rock and roll way you know, with having like the, the kind of like the sexual aspect and all those things. But I, but I felt like what he was trying to say is that he was trying to make a point of like, we're not ready for the insanity of facing the universe. Did you get that out of this? Cause that's what I got out of it. I, I think that analogy with Solaris is really interesting and, and good. I, you know, I'd, I'd love to think more about that, but on the, on the surface of it, as you say it, that makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, um, yeah, there is, there is, um, you know, are we psychically ready, you know, for the experience? There is a, there's a moment in the novel where, um, where 
one of the um, the guys that's been on the Mars mission says something like, you know, um, kind of yeah, flattens the affect of the whole thing and says, you know, the moon, Mars, it's all it's all the same. It's all the same experience. And I think Marsberg says something slightly different. You know, it says that in in a way, or at least the novel says, if, if Marsberg doesn't say that there's a a problem here with the idea that sorry, it's got a small interruption there. Um, no. um the, one of the sorry, one second, recapture my thought. No, that's fine. Just some some work for Larry. Yes, um, exactly. Well, I think <laughs> <laughs> so. One one of the the things that, that Marsberg seems to me to be interested in is is precisely the psychic reaction. I think one of the things that um, is important about one of the one of the games that Beyond Apollo plays is a really playful book, although it's a, mm-hmm. a dark and quite sinister book. It's very playful. It has so many. Uh, I mean, to call them in jokes would be an insult. They're, they're kind of like terrific ironies and cryptograms and anagrams, uh, you know, paths to follow that are ultimately part of the, the part of the pleasure of the novel. It's kind of an unending novel in some ways because it, the point of it, in, um, for me in some ways, is the, the, the intellectual, or as you kind of put it, like the, the psychic or the emotional truth of dealing with the experience, whether the experience of, of space travel is, is, is kind of is, is traumatic, which it is. We know that, you know, from um, you know, stuff like uh, I mean, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Mailer's of a Fire on the Moon. I think it's one of the, one of the, the best nonfiction books um, ever written. Um, but you know, we know something about the psychology of astronauts. We know, and we we have some of that. But the but the thing that's going on also is that. In the introduction I wrote, I, I referred to this, this is my son, a bit of a tangent, but I, I promise I'm going to try and tie it up a bit. Go, so tangent away. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm really interested in, um, there's a lot of, sort of, of course, you know, there's a lot of homosexuality and scatology and so on and, and beyond Apollo, um, but, which is not the wild reference I'm going for. I'm not going for just the homosexual references. But Wilde wrote this, um, this dialogue in 1891, same year he did Dorian Gray, called The Decay of Lying. And um, he he talks about um, one of the issues that comes up for Wilde in 1891 is that it's it's increasingly difficult as we get into um, realism, into the realist mode, to sustain, you know, extravagant lies or ex- to sustain our, um, you know, our romanticism. And, and I think our romanticism... Um, is is kind of crucial in terms of writing about um, you know writing effectively you know, that the big lie you know Wilde talked a lot about the in, in the decay of lying about the idea of the big lie the the and, and science fiction had always been full of of essentially what were you know turned out to be big lies big big falsifications big romances about what space travel would be like including whether it would be um, uh, this kind of positivist humanist colonial experience, or whether you know, and actually, you know, Malzberg and others say it's it's not, it's weird, it's it, it, it brings it dredges up the unconscious in in uncomfortable ways. Um, but yeah, it's like, what do you what, when you have this um, this technological realist universe, um, something that Wilde called um, in terms of realism careless habits of accuracy. I mean, I'm, I'm not so interested. One of the reasons I like, one of the reasons I love Philip K. Dick and one of the reasons I like Malzberg is because I, I'm not, 
you know, a hard SF reader. You know, I think the, 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 the careless habits of accuracy kind of undermine what is, to me, the most interesting thing about space travel. I think what you're alluding to as well, sorry, is to tie it up is, is, is the psychic effect, is, is the, the effects on psychology. It's, it's an existential enterprise as much as it's a technological enterprise. Mm-hmm. Now, it's easy to, it's easy as satellites, satellites are technological. Like mm-hmm. Rockets are, are existential. And I think, you know, Miles Berg's going through that. And he also in the, you know, the riddle that the, uh, the captain proposes to, uh, to Evans, whose name's like a phonetic anagram of Venus. Um, mm. he proposes this idea. He says, you know, what's, what's the truth of, of why we're, we're going to Venus? And the, the, the kind of one of the experimental and great ideas of Beyond Apollo is that Evans then runs through the litany, the, the chronicle of all these different science fiction scenarios. He runs through the, you know, well, we're being guided there by, you know, telepathic snake, um, and it's all a ruse, or, 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 um, or, uh, in the kind of more psychologically, um, traumatic way, that none of this is actually happening. The novel's being written on a piece of toilet paper by Evans in an asylum. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just, it's a completely schizophrenic novel. So, you know, to me, the, the, the great thing about Beyond Apollo is the, the sustained act of telling great lies and setting up great riddles, um, in this kind of sphinx-like way. The, the, the novel stays pretty, pretty open. Yeah. Um, in a way that, you know, it's, it's kind of anti-science fiction that way, because science fiction, um, well, then Dick, Dick leaves plenty of stuff open. Dick's a great, you know, ironist and uh employer of ambiguity and ambivalence well and that's one of the things having just done man in the high castle it's funny because we you know made a huge point in our episode about that is it's man high castle is not about ooh, wouldn't it be scary if nazis took over it's really about the inaccuracy of history and how like everything that, that the reality that we think we're being sold to us is 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 potentially not real right and what, what's yeah. in, what's interesting about beyond apollo is i talked to uh i talked to a friend online the other day who um uh, through goodreads who saw that i had finished reading this and he said oh yeah the book with the psychic venus snakes and <laughs> and he kind of like poo-pooed it that way and what was funny is, I, no, I mean, that's that's one of the jokes, you know, that's one of the that's one of the exactly, the, you know, like one of the piss takes of science fiction. That's one of the one of the one of the satirical moves, the deconstructive moves, the deconstructionist moves that that Marsberg makes. Right. And I told him, I said, dude, those snakes weren't real. <laughs> that was that was right. It was all in his mind. It was all like one particular. Right. And, and so it was funny because he kind of like I don't think he was reading as closely, right? And it, that just got past him. And then what it occurred to me is that there are often times with some of the weirder science fiction where, you know, sometimes the ideas don't hit you right. And that's one of the things that's so cool about uh, this kind of weird science fiction is because it's not for everybody, and not everyone's going to get it. No, no, no. Miles Berg's, you know, he's he's. I'm not even sure. He, I don't even know whether. I, I mean, no disrespect. I'm not even sure he's that well known. But he's certainly he's where he is, where he is known. Where he is known, he's he's controversial. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing, is, and I think that 
Yeah, I mean, I think Malzberg is very respected within the genre, but he doesn't have the kind of notoriety that Philip K. Dick, for example, has. Right, yeah. And I think his contribution to the genre, in a lot of ways, is huge, but it's uh, it's in things of, like, working at the literary agency, it's editing um, novels behind the scenes, and um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. providing notes, and, and, and to... He's impacted the the scene in a lot of ways the community that uh, is not seen so the fact that his novels are so overlooked is is you know and, and i you know look listen i've been reading science fiction since since the 80s when i was a little kid and i didn't read malsberg till 2009 you know when robert yeah. put put uh, beyond apollo in my hand at his bookstore and and I don't know if I would have discovered Maltzberg if this really cool bookstore owner hadn't like pulled the book off the shelf and made me buy it. Um, and yeah, the first time I read him was I was I was given um, uh, my friend um, Stephen Andrews, um, who wrote uh, a book for oh god I forget the press. Uh, damn it. But anyway, it was the hundred best science fiction novels. Uh, he handed me a copy of of Guernica Night, one of um, Maltzberg's. For me, one of his one of his great books um, in about 1997. But I think before that, he was unknown to me. You know, maybe I'd seen them. I'm not sure. I don't think many bookstores stalked him because he was, you know, he's one of those people that's in and out of of print in in terms of like contemporary editions. You might find them used, uh, but it's not so common. Um, so so good for Antiochus and good for the other people that are like trying to. Uh, uh, keep the keep the backlist in, in print and to, well, to allow us to see this great material. And one of the reasons why we're recording this right now at all is because I think it's it's you know look dickheads our focus is Philip K. Dick but yeah but we definitely you know one of the things that we do every episode is um, you know our dick like suggestions and one of the things we want to do is make sure that the dickheads the true serious dickheads like check out some of these other authors whether it's um, Ursula Le Guin, um, you know, uh, John Bruner, uh, Barry Malzberg, like these people, we want Norman Spinrad. And, yeah. and so we're definitely wanting to widen the circle a little bit because, uh, you know, we're the three of us who do dickheads are, are, are well read in the genre, but, um, you know, obviously our focus is PKD, but we, we definitely want people to expand and see these things. Because another thing is this novel, Beyond Apollo, is so appealing to, to, to PKD fans if they just give yeah. it a shot. And hopefully what happened is is that they got partly into this podcast, decided they actually wanted to read it, paused it, went back and, <laughs> and read it. <laughs> and now they're here again. So uh, let's get back to the spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Um, which we're not, I don't think you can spoil this book really, because I think in some ways, the more you're on the lookout for the cool things that it's doing, I think that's actually not going to hurt you personally. I don't think as a reader, um, no, I think, you know, I think we're, we're supposed to decipher this book as much as we can, you know, and, uh, I think we'll all, we'll all do, we'll, we'll come up with many different interpretations. I was very conscious in, you know, writing the introduction to it that I that I wrote that you know I was delivering what you know what for me would have been 
spoilers, but actually might have been quite minor parts of the book for other people. Just in, just in terms of, you know, what, the, the, the way you read, you know, what yeah. the, the, the things that have affect for you, the things that have the, the particular the particular meanings. I definitely um, like I just, I thought of something a, well, a second ago, a while back, but I've never thought of it when you said, about the mythic Apollo thing, if, you've, if we've got a second. Sure, um, sure. we got plenty of time to just talk. <laughs> so I was, you know, you, you talk, I hadn't, I honestly hadn't thought about this. I mean, I'd actually, I think of, you know, I, I talked earlier about the way the, the, the 60s and 70s science fiction ushered in a, that, that sort of sense of delirium. Um, we talked about the sort of permissiveness and finally entering the genre of like sex, drugs, rock and roll, etc., psychedelia, psyche, the unconscious, surrealism, all these and collage techniques, all these kind of stuff that have been around for a long time. And when you said, you know, you thought for a moment that it was going to be um, beyond Apollo, as in the sense of Apollo, the, the god, rather than the space program, mm-hmm. to, in, just, just in terms of, you know, a, a linguistic play, I mean, the opposite, you know, or, or if you like, the beyond all the, the Dionysians, Apollo and Dionysus and Nietzsche and other, um, in, in his kind of formulation of, of the tragic, is the, the Apollonian, an idea of, of the, the dream, but it's also the kind of ordering principle and the Dionysian as the chaotic. And in many ways, like science fiction had been dominated by the Apollonian principles, by the, by the linear, the phallic, the straight line, the, the humanistic, uh, what did I say earlier? Positivist kind of agenda that it was a, that it was an outward progressive linear ordered technological, uh, literature based on mastery and competence. Whereas actually when you're, when you, when you reach the position of being beyond Apollo to, to pun on that, you, then you are in the, in, you know, in Dick's schizophrenic, delirious, uh, druggy, suspicious, paranoid, uh, music infested, Wild universe, you're in the Dionysian. Uh, Apollo, in that sense, makes makes mythic sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it probably does have a double meaning. I mean, um, I know not to put this, not to shamelessly plug my own work, but here I go. Do do. Yeah. yeah um, so I have my first solo science fiction novel coming out later this year, um, Goddamn Killing Machines. And what was funny is is that. Um, when I named that book, uh, that uh, title has like three meanings, right? And, right. and I was really like, I knew that the surface level, because it's a, um, uh, kind of military sci-fi, uh, book that, you know, there's going to be this, the surface level. But when you get into yeah. to the mindfuck territory of, of what's going on, that there's two other meanings to the title and, and uh, I think probably what Maltzberg's doing is similar to, to – I just made the decision. I was like, well, if people, you know, just laugh at the title and see, like, one funny thing, that's fine. They don't have to get the other two versions of, the, of, of what the title means right away. They yeah. Get that, get that later. Yeah. That's fine. And I think what's going on with Beyond Apollo is that, you know, when I said that the first time I was looking for some great mythic thing, right – and it was there. I just didn't necessarily get it the first time. And then, yeah, yeah, the, that's, that's that's really cool. Yeah, and the surface level, I got it the second time, you know. And I started to think about like the history, and and maybe that's partially because I just you know recently saw First Man and was thinking a lot about Apollo. But 
Um, but there was a film in the works of Beyond Apollo for a long time. I remember seeing, I forget when I first saw it, but it's, it's been, you know, a number of years since I, I came across a, yeah, and I'm not, a website. It could be done interestingly, <laughs> but, but I think, I think what's cool about this novel is, is kind of the unreliable narrator structure and, and how, yeah. you know, there, there, there's, there are aspects of like the what is real that, that come into, and first of all, by the way, anybody who knows me well knows I'm not a fan of first-person narratives. Um, but this particular time, it, it, it was necessary and it worked. And uh, It also works because Evans like, is first-person, but he also dissociates and refers to himself in the third as well. He's, he's, he has this, yeah. Yeah, this dissociative aspect, which makes the first person a little bit more dynamic because you don't no, read it as, as like a, a lyric, you know. Um, so it's much more interesting in that sense. Yeah. I think Miles, one of the things, if Marsberg has a, um, well, it's not even difficulty, that's the wrong way to put it, but he, he is, I mean, I think Dick is very difficult to film. I don't know um, what you think about that um, precisely, but, mm-hmm. you know, like Marsberg is pretty difficult to film. You know, it's, 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 it's textual. It's, it's a page-based science fiction. It's not a sensationalist science fiction. It's not a space opera. It's not, um, it's not, hard SF where people can look at the technology. It's, it's, it's psychic and it's non-linear and it's tricky in the same way Dick is. I think we've, we've, we've got maybe, I don't know whether the right, what the right word is, but we, you know, there's that, what's that cliche of like we're living in, you know, Philip K. Dick's universe that Dick is kind of, we've, we've got, we're more familiar already with territories that when you film Dick, you know, I, I just heard a conversation re- just the other day mm-hmm. between some 17-year-olds who were reading some Dick short stories, and they were, they were appalled. You know, they, they couldn't understand it. They thought it was total trash. That it was a terrible writer. Everything that was happening was completely obvious. And I just I wanted to interrupt them and say, well, it's because like you're living in the universe of this established. You know, you're, right. you're, none of these things. You're not you're not reading this in 1964. You're not reading this when these were. When, when the universe was shaping, you know, when our, when our consciousness or our zeitgeist was shaping around mm-hmm. that it does shaping around our, our best experimental literature and our kind of, you know, I mean, I think this is not a word that I think many people apply to Dick, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot with, with a kind of, you know, visionary writers, everyone from like William Blake to someone like Dick, that there's the, the shamanic quality. You know, of, of being the person that has to go out there in the entropy, find the pattern recognition and bring it back and, and show people, um, the way, the way the world is and stop us either being eaten by the snake people or finding the, the, the answers, you know, solving the riddles. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, Dick, Dick did that. And, and the, you know, it's difficult, I think, for, for very, for, for relatively young readers who have in a sense grown up in the world that is, you know, Dick's, Dick's fiction is, Everything feels quite familiar, of course, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Marsberg is, a, is is not quite so easy with that, but I think in terms of uh, technique um, and in terms of the, the ironies and the levels and the c- confusions with reality and identity, I, I, I think that, you know, to me, they're, they're great great allies in a sense you know i mean not literally allies i guess but um yes and no but they're, they're in a constellation that, yeah. that makes total sense so i would i would commend any philip k dick fan particularly the ones that like the weird stuff 
particularly the ones that like the, the deconstructed, uh, the novels that take on the, the more, more take on the, the nature of language and the psyche and representation to check out some of Miles' books, uh, weird books. Yeah, so on that note, because I'm not super familiar with the other Maltzberg books, just to, well, let's wrap up Beyond Apollo a little bit first. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, um, overall, um, I would, you know, initially I would have given this book, uh, three psychic Venus snakes out of five, but <laughs> in, the second time I read it, I definitely bumped it up to at least four. Po- and you know, and the more we talk about it, I'm I'm starting to lean towards five psychic Venus snakes out of five. Because, oh, definitely five. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, is that um, this is a book that definitely the more you think about it, and the further out you get from it, like I, I think I was more impressed with it after I closed the book than when I was actually reading it. Which is yeah. which is a weird thing to say, but um, you know, I I felt that way about it, um several of the early Dick books. Um, for example, like Eye in the Sky was one. Mm-hmm, that the mm-hmm. more I thought about it, the, the more I liked it. And then, um, so so I definitely think that um, you know, overall, this is this is a masterpiece. It's deserving of the award that it won. And and you said it was the inaugural uh, John uh, Campbell. I think so well that's I interesting could be wrong about that um that would be back-to-back first time award winners because when we did stand on zanzibar it was the first british science fiction and fantasy award winning novel um, um I feel now that you say that i feel i feel tentative about that but i but i feel like that's my memory yeah no it was it was the first i think 72 oh. beyond apollo was the was the um let me just grab my copy here hang on yeah the 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 first campbell award so yeah my, my memory is I think correct. No, yeah. no, uh, no, correct. Okay, so how do you think that this fits into memorializing Campbell, and specifically, is there something about this work that um, that is Campbellian, really? Like, uh, I, I think Campbell was one of the early editors that was really kind of pushing the genre to get a little wilder. Am I right, or, or I, you know? I mean, most. Yeah, I think you know a little. More, More so, so than, than Gernsback, for sure. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe that's the case. I mean, I think, and, and maybe, you know, maybe, I think what I understand of it uh, is this is anecdotal, so so it's, this is not like, research-based. You asked about the publication history earlier, and I was, I, I'm, I'm remembering now that I feel like that what I, this might be worth check, double-checking, because this is my memory, but my memory is that the, the jury was pretty split about Beyond Apollo. Um, getting the first, the first award or getting an award, you know, period. It ha, you know, it has, it has its pulpy moments, you know, it has its appeal to the pulp reader. Uh, at the same time, it, it, it re-subverts, the, the, it subverts that pulpiness. So, I mean, you can read it, I think it depends what kind of reader you are in some ways. I mean, you could, you could, you could read it and, and, Get a get a real kick out of the you know like we we talked ironically a bit you know about the the, the telepathic snake idea uh-huh. um, you know and it's 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 laughable but it's not laughable because it's precisely the kind of science fiction of the golden age you know so when you know when the captain says to Evans why are we doing this and he gives that reason and he gives other very pulpy reasons there's a 
I think one of the things I was trying to get across with the Oscar Wilde thing is I, I think in although you know he's well aware of the of, of the bullshit, but there's also in Beyond Apollo a, a, an ambivalent kind of nostalgia for the potential of the genre that's kind of been lost. And after you know in 1972 it was going to be absurd to write about snake people and telepathic things and you know bikini women on Venus etc. It's, it's going to be absurd from then on, or at least you know from years before that. It had already reached the point where you know the the uh, for me in a point in a way it's like when when science science fiction flourished at exactly. The, I mean, I, of course, I, I, there's plenty of 19th century stuff I really like, but mm-hmm. the part that speaks to me existentially and you know, philosophically, where it flourishes, is almost the point where science fiction becomes impossible. Well, and if you look at this one in 1972, we've already got some really, you know, um, very straight-laced novels from Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, yeah. and, and 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 that, and it's not like I'm against those guys because I like those guys too. I know those aren't really your yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Well, it, it, but. It, and I like the weirdos a little bit more, but um, mm-hmm. but if you look at and I don't know how the jury was split on this, but I do know that when Stan on Zanzibar uh, was up against 2001 uh, for the British Fantasy Science Fiction and Fantasy Award, it was hotly debated. Like right, um, yeah, yeah. It, but when you think about 2001 as well, I mean, I, I think. I, I, I see that the, the tension and the argument there, I think. And, and, and actually, I was thinking about this before we spoke, mm-hmm. actually about 2001. And I was thinking about how relative to, I mean, I think we think of, we, we, it's always in the pantheon of uh, great science fiction movies. It's often number one in science fiction movie polls mm-hmm. and so on. And 2001 has, you know, a completely avant-garde, Aesthetic, you know, and the, and the novel itself is is actually quite avant-garde in its story arc and its conclusions, and it's and it's actually quite the, the monolith in the novel is quite psychedelic, and it's quite it's it's a pretty interesting expansion of the Sentinel short story, uh-huh. etc. And you know, when you compare it to and there's you know, no real like, answer, there's no real answer to what the monolith is until three thousand and one, four books later. Really? Yeah, and then when you when you compare that to something like Star Wars, which is a completely reactionary narrative, it's you know, it's hero's journey again, teenage boy, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's it's it, it's a it's a it's a kind of it is it is a, it's a very straight narrative of archetypal storytelling. Uh, it, it it does engage with like incest, fascism. It's 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 operatic, but it's but it's fundamentally a teenage boy's you know. Nocturnal mission, like the the Death Star scene is basically you know, a bunch of sperm chasing down the canal, you know, <laughs> for their for their one in a million shot. You know, it's like this 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 ridiculous kind of hero's journey, teenage boy narrative, and it's very reactionary space opera, um, pretty problematic and silly, entertaining when you see it as a kid. But like it, it's as, in terms of narrative, it's 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 not. It, it makes it emphasizes how avant-garde 2001 2001 is mm-hmm. by by its by its you know being the best part of ten years later but being so old-fashioned it's a golden age story yeah and that's that's an interesting comparison is 2001 to beyond Apollo because um you know in a lot of senses again this is they're making similar points. Um, I don't think the comparison is quite as apt as, as the Solaris one. However, 
Um, you know, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think it's a better comparison is Solaris. However, it, you know, if you look at, you know, it's 2001 is such a straight laced, hard sci-fi. We're going to try to make this as realistic as possible, except this one element, which is the monolith, you know, mm-hmm. what that means. And, and that's one of the things is if you read the whole series through 2001, that there's definitely a hard answer to what the, the monolith yeah. is, um, to Clark. And, he, you know, he basically said like he knew all along what he thought it was. And so now it's funny because I can't go back and watch 2001 now that I've read 3001, right? <laughs> I can't go back and watch it without mm-hmm. my knowledge knowing what the monolith is, right? And that, and I'm not going to say directly what it is because that's a spoiler, but um, it's one of those things of like when you first saw it, you, you're, you, I, I would compare it to Mulholland Drive. The first time I saw Mulholland Drive, I was like, what is this? This is totally insane. And then as soon as yeah. I figured out what Mulholland Drive was, I felt like a moron for not getting it. <laughs> right? Like, you feel yeah. stupid. And and I don't think yeah. that that's going to happen here with Beyond Apollo, but I definitely think, first of all, I think any uh, dickheads should go out and read it, and they should definitely give it some time to marinate and possibly read it a second time because I definitely got a lot more out of it the second time. Myself. Yeah, it, it holds up. It really does. I mean, it's it should be a little bit more. I think Galaxies too. I think Gurnica and I, I, I. I'm a big fan of the destruction of the temple, which is this uh, bizarre. I mean, the time with with Ballard there is a it's a Kennedy reenactment kind of narrative. Um, but Kennedy assassination rather, not just Kennedy, um, but specifically it's kind of Kennedy. Golgotha crucifixion kind of narrative. Malzberg has this, these, these great, um, he has these really good pulpy touches. He's mental, but at the same time, he's really smart. Okay. He's really smart, really smart about the archetypal and, and, uh, Let's get specific on that. And so we have two more things to do and then I'll let you go for your evening. Show. All right. Because okay. you've my, done my an team. awesome job. Um, and I'm sure dickheads will be clamoring to have you back. So I'd love to come back. That'd be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a good it's time. Been, it's been, it's really a pleasure talking. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm really enjoying this too. So here's the thing. Let's start one thing first. Let's, uh, let's get very specific about what other Maltzberg I need to read and the, the dickheads out there need to read because I've only read Beyond Apollo and a few short stories. Um, so where do I go? Ne- where do I go next? And then, um, tell us specifically, uh, some of the works that your press is putting out and, um, tell us about your novels so we know where to go to read your work. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So that was two. Um, let's start with Maltzberg. Yeah, so. So Mars book first. If you if you like the experimentation, uh, the the postmodern touches, the the, the 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 playfulness of Beyond Apollo, you would definitely enjoy Galaxies, uh, mm-hmm. which I I think in the intro I wrote. Um, if you read this particular edition, which I hope you will, um, to Beyond Apollo, I I think that uh, Galaxies is the best novel about having an idea um, ever written. I think that there's a point in Galaxies where Maltzberg addresses the reader and, and kind of says, you know, if this if this wasn't a genre novel, if this was written by Coover or one of the you know the, the current you know or like a, I, I think it's Coover, I don't think it's John Bath, but you know one of the current mm. kind of cool postmodernists, this would be taken in a completely different way. 
but this is this is a science fiction novel, so no one actually is going to grasp the level of experimentation that I that I'm employing in this. Uh, pulp, uh, more I, I again I the first one I read was Guernica Night. I have a real soft spot for it. Um, it's not as I don't think it's you know it's not as postmodern I wouldn't say as or experimental in in, the, in formalism I guess as uh, Beyond Apollo and Galaxies but to me I, I loved the the visceral prose in it it's it's a really striking book it's it is kind of mailer esque um, uh, yeah big fan of Destruction of the Temple um, there's the remaking of Sigmund Freud Sodom and Gomorrah business is interesting that could have been filmed actually that could that might make make it make an interesting film uh yeah i just 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 delve in but i think definitely um beyond apollo is a great place to start in seeing the the level of wit and uh the ambivalent regard that Miles book it's a love-hate relationship that he clearly has with the genre and i think that's in many ways extremely healthy Someone that is just completely besotted with a genre is not always making the best choices within it. And I think Marsberg has enough critical distance um, and and just street smarts to write a, a really to write really good uh, material within, within the genre and outside it too. Mm. The other question you asked was your work, uh, my 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 work, um, and your press. My press, yeah. So, um, well, the, the, pre- the press, first of all. So I've been running um, a small publishing house called Stalking Horse Press um, for a few years. Uh, we publish, um, we've published and are about to be publishing uh, new work by Duncan Barlow, who I know you know. We, we discussed earlier, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a great treat. Uh, the City of Wake, which you published, was one of my top ten reads of the year, the year it came out. So uh. City of Wake is a, is, is, a, is a great novel. Um, his new book um, that's forthcoming in April is called A Dog Between Us. Uh, very different novel, but it has, you know, if you know Duncan, you know that Duncan has a lot of uh, sensitivity and insight, and I think that this book is, it's a melancholy book, uh, but it's it it speaks to a lot of human human truths, um, if that isn't too trite. But there's a way of describing a really great book. Uh, we published some poet we published poetry. Um, Jennifer Maritza McCauley, Jesse Janishek, Michael J. Wilson, whose recent book, If Any Gods Lived, is an astounding poetry collection about uh, the era of AIDS and um, the and the aftermath and living as a as a as a young Gay man in the 21st century. Uh, lots of lots of other great novels uh, by D. Foyce, Scott Southern. Uh, too many to mention. Uh, Kurt Baumeister, etc. I'm just gonna I'm gonna embarrass myself by by not naming everybody, but I, I just you know, I think they, you don't you don't want a list of a dozen <laughs> plus. You can go to the website Stalking Horse Press and check it out. Malcolm McNeil, an early a collaborator. Um, with William Burroughs for 10 years in the 1970s, we just published, um, a lost graphic novel of his called Tetra, which was, it was serialized in a magazine for a long time, for a couple of years. And then, um, was like a lot of Malcolm's exceptional, very, very, very important work for and in collaboration with Burroughs has been neglected, uh, partly due to the, the, the negligence and Sinister machinations of the Burroughs estate. I can't understand why Malcolm is not a household name amongst the Burroughs 
fraternity, community, but there it is. Um, and my own work, uh, I have five novels. Um, the most recent is The Song Man and Me Sing from Anti-Oedipus Press, a science fiction novel, um, which Malzberg uh, kindly um, infused about, gave me, gave me some kind words. Uh, previous to that, Soft Invasions, which actually the cover of Soft Invasions to um, the Man Eye Castle, where the book's quite it partakes of the same some of the same paranoias. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, Mr. Kurt to Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, and uh, before that, Bombshell, a po- uh, an apocalyptic um, nuclear feminist thriller, and first of all, uh, a book called I Judas, which actually um, I incorporated. Maltzberg, actually, now, you, now we talk about this, I incorporated Maltzberg as a character, as a, as a cameo within the, the novel I, Judas. So it's basically a, a novel about the archetype and the character of Judas Iscariot, set sometimes in Palestine, sometimes in the in our, in our present day, um, and in a surrealist kind of present day. But yeah, Maltzberg plays, plays a, a cameo role in that. So, so um, I... I commend these books <laughs> to your shelves. <laughs> awesome. Don't hesitate. Go, 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 um, All right. go well, sustain, sustain me. We're going to continue to chat offline for a minute about some ways that uh, James can get involved with dickheads. But anybody who listened all the way through, I really appreciate your time. And I'm really thank you, James, for coming and, and bringing awesome insight. Uh, Cheers. Thank you for inviting me. All right, uh, see you later, dickheads, uh, and keep it paranoid.